one for our family, and there are a lot of other weddings we know of happening this year. And with, when, with weddings, with a wedding, we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a wedding today. Um, but there's, the wedding invite list is always a big deal. It's, you know, it's, there, especially if there's a meal involved. Because you got a budget, you got a certain number of people you can feed, and you got to figure out, okay, who gets invited, and who do I have to not invite to this wedding? And uh, you've, I've got a friend named Sam. Some of you know Sam. He used to live here a few years ago, and he's a really fun guy. And he and a buddy were downtown one time, and there was a rehearsal dinner going on at a restaurant on points, and they decided it was a great time to crash the rehearsal dinner. <laughs> and they like, just went in, acted like they belonged, ate food, drank drinks, were mingling. Like, oh, how do you know the bride and groom? They were just making stuff up. But eventually they got found out, and they were not so kindly escorted out of the door. Because you've got to be on the invite list to, to be at a wedding. At least you're supposed to be. Um, and the, the nicer the wedding, the greater the honor it is to be invited, right? The nicer the wedding, the greater the honor to be invited, and the more you have to think about what you're going to wear and how to prepare for the wedding. Several years ago, my, my wife has a cousin who was, got into these very elite circles in San Francisco, and she ended up marrying a very, very, very wealthy venture capitalist. I mean, we're talking about Picasso in the Beverly Hills house, and there's a new house in Jackson Hole and San Francisco. And so this was a, a top-of-the-line wedding. And so we were a family of seven. We got two invites, all right? Now, the kids are not all invited to come, but you got two invites. And as we talked it over, we thought, you know, I don't, how about, how about when Anna goes in? My daughter Anna, my oldest daughter, she was in high school at the time. She could go in my place. I don't know if I belong at this wedding, actually. It's not a good idea. So, so mom and Anna went, and I took the kids camping and grew my beard out. It was a much better situation for me than knocking over the rodent statues and all the stuff that was going on at this wedding. Um, but this, the story we're going to talk about is a wedding that was actually infinitely more grand than that wedding that was in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and the bride wore three dresses throughout the course of the night and it was, it was crazy. But this is a wedding, a story Jesus told about a wedding that's actually of infinitely greater uh, grandness than, than that one. And so let's just, let's just turn to it. We're going to read through this story and believe God's got something encouraging for each of us in here. In, it's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king. That's important. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So Jesus is telling the story, and the, just to give the little cheat code here, so the, the king is God, and the son is Jesus, and this is speaking of what's this theme throughout Scripture of what's known as the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's the, the culmination of history. When, when the, this age comes to its, to its culmination, to its, its purpose being fulfilled, and there's this, this grand gathering. And this is spoken, I'll just read a couple of references to where this is mentioned in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 25, 
It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. So this Jewish audience, if they were familiar with the scriptures, they were going here like, oh, this, this is maybe the wedding. This is the, the feast where death is ended, where sorrow and sadness are no more, where the new age is coming, where new creation is coming, where the earth is, is being restored. This is, this, is, this is the culmination of all that. And, and we realize as we read the Bible, this is the place where a bride, which is the church, is prepared to, to be joined to the Son, to Jesus. In Revelation 19, this is referenced as well. And it says, let's rejoice. Revelation 19.7. Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Again, the culmination of, of this age, this, this era. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Okay, so the pinnacle of history, the wedding of all weddings, the wedding of the Son of God, the marriage of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to this wedding feast. So the question is, who gets invited? Right? Like, I feel like, that sounds like a wedding I actually don't want to get to. I want to be at that one. And the question is, so how? Who, who gets invited? How do you, how do you get there? Um, well, we're going to find out. So back, to the, back to Matthew 22. We'll just read through this and, and break it down. So he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Wow. Interesting. This invitation, the king's wedding, the... The culmination, the greatest thing, where history is all leading to, where God has in store for his select. And the people get an invitation, but it says they refused to come. Why would anyone refuse to come? It says they were unwilling or they didn't want to come. I think it's because they didn't realize how great of a thing it was that they were being invited to. Because if you realize what it was, you wouldn't miss it. You know, last Monday night, I... I went to the KUK State basketball game, which was in, like the, maybe it's one of the top basketball games I've ever been at. I mean, the environment was incredible. It was electric. It went to overtime. K-State ended up pulling off a win with some just incredible plays down the stretch. It was like, man, this is why people are into sports and go to games. Like, it's for moments like this. You came out at the end of the game, and people were just, like, high-fiving and so excited. And you walk out the doors, and there was this heavy fog outside, and it was just this, like, surreal magical moment. Like, oh, wow, this is like, yeah, we were there together. And, of course, they lost last night, but that's another story. <laughs> but, I, but the reason I went was because someone offered me tickets, and it was because two or three other people had declined to go to that game. And so it got passed on down to where I was invited, and I went, and I got to go. And that's basically what we see in the story, is that the people who were invited first declined. They decided they, they weren't willing to go to this wedding. Why, why was that? 
I said they didn't realize what they were missing out on. Um, and they had some reasons. So in verse 3, it says, Then he sent some more servants and said, Wait, did I read all that? Yeah, okay. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. This is Bo. I was talking to Bo on the phone yesterday. He was telling me how he was cooking, getting brisket ready for the Super Bowl party tonight and some, some meat. He's like, yeah, it's like this. They're preparing the oxen and fattened cattle. There's a big feast coming up. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. Jesus also in the Gospel of Luke, this, this story is told also, and in that story, they, they also had the reason, one guy's like, oh, I just, I just got married myself. So we see the reasons they didn't go were, you know, if you have a farm or if you have a business, it's very understandable. It's like, wow, I've got, I'm busy. I have responsibilities. It's hard to get away from the farm. It's hard to get away from the business. It's hard to get away from family obligations and uh, pulls. And so we see that there was this incredible wedding invitation, but people's other, other obligations and what was going on in their life, they put of greater precedence than the wedding they were invited to. And so, um, you know, I imagine when people, when, this, when these invitations go out, a lot of people were probably like, okay, yeah, 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 thanks. They gave them the little head nod, like, okay, yeah, I'll probably be there. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And they're telling themselves, yeah, I, I'm not going to make that one. <laughs> you know, how many of you ever seen the head nod? You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You invite to something, and like, all right. But there's not that. There's something else is going to actually happen. In verse 6, it says, The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Wow. They didn't just not come, but they actually attacked the messengers. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So this is intense. It just got really dark here, right? I mean, it's just a wedding invitation. But Jesus is speaking, first of all, about the invitation to come into the kingdom of God that first came to the people of Israel. And the, by and large, the, the vast majority of the people of Israel declined that invitation and not only that, but they persecuted the messengers. They persecuted the servants of God and, and you know, killed many of them, imprisoned others. Um, and then, this is speaking of, there was a judgment that came. And this is speaking of the judgment that came one generation later, 40 years later, when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And that's a whole other story. But it, the, the historian Josephus actually says that people at that time, he says, this was too good. You could hardly even believe that if I... If there weren't multiple accounts, you wouldn't believe this. But people were actually looking up into the clouds and seeing chariots and soldiers running around, coming to the city, surrounding it to attack it. They saw these spiritual armies of God that were coming in judgment on the city of Jerusalem. So um, that's not our focus here today, though. So verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. 
So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. Wow, that's good news to a lot of us. Gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed the man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, that's an intense wedding right there. I mean, you know the weddings with like the malfunctions, the things that break down. There's always a story of weddings gone bad. But man, there's, this is an intense wedding story. And there are several elements of the story that are really shocking, actually, that are intended to get our attention and that are, that are shocking. And um, some of the elements, some of the shocking elements, I think, maybe over, cause us to overlook some of the other really surprising elements. But the first really amazing, shocking element that I want to focus on is that this wedding of the king, this which is the wedding of, of the Son of God. It's the invitation into his family. It's the invitation into his kingdom. It's the invitation to be part of his bride, actually. It's shocking that God extends his favor to everyone. If you look at this story, there, the, the invitation to the wedding goes out to everyone. God's graciousness is extended to everyone. His favor is extended to everyone. High and low, rich and poor, wherever you live, there is the invitation to come and receive the favor of the king. I I love how it says, we'll just go back to that verse in, in verse 9. It said, go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the good, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Man, this is what God does to us. This is what God does to people. This is the very definition of grace. Is One definition is unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor comes to us and says, hey, I want to invite you to my celebration. I want to invite you into my kingdom. I want to invite you to the thing that all of history is lined up for. I want to bring you in. The favor of God comes to everyone. And it's not based on whether you grew up in a Christian family or not. It's not based on your morality. It's not based on how wealthy you are what social class you're part of. It's it's just based on the favor of the king extending that invitation to the whole world. (coughs) Excuse me. I need some wedding drinks here. God extends his favor to everyone. And this is, there's nothing more important. This is the first thing a baby needs to know is that it's loved. 
Babies need to be held a lot. They need to be just grow that experience of, man, there is, this, is, this is a good world. There is love. And, I, and my neurons in my brain are being formed to know that I am the recipient of favor. And every human being, we are, we, this is so deeply important that we need to know that God's favor is extended to us. That God is not, he's not looking to rule people out. He's looking to rule people in. He's looking to invite us. In Psalm 145.9, it says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. <coughs> Man, that tickle in the throat this morning. 2 Peter 3.9 so the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God's will, his desire, is for everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to receive his favor. Everyone to come into his family. And, you know, this morning, I believe God wants, no matter where we're at, he wants us to know, man, my favor is extended to you. I am inviting you into the very best purpose that you could imagine. I'm inviting you into the greatest place of relational fulfillment that you desire. I am inviting you. And I'm inviting the whole world. My favor is being extended to, it doesn't matter. You know, so often I think we, we rule ourselves out, and then we get proud and we rule other people out. But it's so important to see God is not making these prior assessments on, oh, that person's in that. No, his, his invitation goes to everyone, good or bad. That's good. So God, God extends his favor to everyone. So that's the first, the first thing we see here. The second thing we see here is that God is not into favoritism. God isn't into favoritism. <coughs> you may have experienced favoritism. You may have felt like, yeah, your, your little sister, or that other person in your class, or that other person in church, or wherever. Like, oh, they were, they were the ones who were favored, but not me. But God is not into favoritism. God invites everyone. And even, um, you know, he's, he's very intentional to, he hates favoritism, actually. He hates the prior, like, clicks and setting aside, okay, these people are in, these people are out. But he hates inconsistent standards, but he extends it to everyone. <coughs> we see this even more in the Luke account. It said, in Luke 14, 21, it says, so when the servant came and reported these things to his master, then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. So he's intentionally making sure that nobody is excluded. He's looking to see the people that often were excluded, often were on the outs. He's like, no, there are the ones. We have to make sure, the poor, the crippled, the lame, make sure they get the same invitation as everyone else. So God invites everyone, but also the same rules apply to everyone, right? So it's, it's everyone's invited, but then that one guy 
he comes without wedding dress, wedding clothes. And so it's basically the same rules. It's like, hey, come, but dress appropriately. That's, that's the rules. That's the common expectation for everyone. You're all come, but you all need to put on the right kind of clothes to come to this wedding. And these, the wedding clothes in the Bible, uh, there's, a, there's, again, a motif throughout Scripture where it represents what Christ does for us when, he, when we turn from our sins and he takes off our old, dirty, soiled clothes and puts on clean garments that are clean because of the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us. So it's the new clothing that comes to us when we turn from our sin and we receive the forgiveness and the new identity of Christ. And then it's the righteous acts of the saints. It's living according to the way of God. It's applying Jesus' teachings to our life. So it's, hey, you're invited. You just got to turn from your old life and trust in Jesus and become loyal to him and begin becoming a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Those are the new clothes. All right? The invitation is out to everyone. Come, follow me. Turn from your old life. Be a disciple. And it's, 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 on one hand, that's impossible because we can't do that apart from his grace. But on the other hand, it's really easy because when you see what you're invited into, you see like, man, if you're invited this way, I'm going to find a way to get some appropriate clothes to go to that wedding. And when we see the, the privilege and the honor of coming into this, it's like, okay, I can, I can do that. And it's really by God's grace that he takes off our old life, our old sin, and gives us the ability to follow him and be his disciple. So there's, there's no favoritism. Um, in Acts 10.34, Peter's speaking. It says, Peter, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This was when the gospel first went to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And Peter's saying, wow, I realize God doesn't show favoritism. He accepts people from anywhere as long as they fear him and do what is right. So God's not into favoritism. Some implications of this. I love this. Implication number one, God will do for you what he'll do for others. So often we think, like, oh, yeah, well, that person, like, they're, they're favored by God, and he just likes them. But no, there's an old song that says, what he did for others, he'll do for you. There's the same blessings that he gives to someone else, he'll do for us. He's consistent. He doesn't pick arbitrarily, but he'll do for others what he'll do for us. Um, but he expects the same thing from us that he expects from others as well. And again, that's, what is that? It's repenting from our sins. That's believing loyalty towards him. That's becoming his disciples. That's learning to follow him and do, obey his commands. That's rearranging our lives according to his ways. That's letting him put his finger on things in our lives that are not pleasing to him and turning from those and learning to grow and becoming like Jesus. See, that's the common expectation, common calling that he calls all of us into as his disciples. So, God will do for us, will do for others. He expects the same thing from us that he expects to others. You know, it doesn't matter. I think there are so many 
Like the Jewish people would have, were like, hey, we were in because we're Jewish. You know, we're, we're in because we're God's chosen people. And actually, they missed it, most of them, because they didn't realize, no, it's not genealogy, it's not family, it's not how much religious instruction you have. You can, you can grow up in a Christian family and totally miss it. And you can grow up in a totally heathen family and totally get it. It's because it's not about, and you can, and oftentimes we, we, we're like the people of Israel. We can, if we grew up in that background, we're like, oh, well, I'm good because, you know, I, I went to church. But actually be totally missing out on the invitation. So it's not, it's not that stuff. It's the right stuff. Um, and then the, another implication is that because God isn't into favoritism, he calls us to not show favoritism towards others as well. Um, and we could, we could go into that a lot. Leviticus 19.5, God's laws, he says, You shall not do injustice in judgment. You shall not show partiality to the poor, nor give preference to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And so God calls us to, to, not, be, to, to not show favoritism to others as well. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about this a little bit. Like, how do I show favoritism? What are some of the ways that we, we show favoritism? Um, well, I think one way it's easy to, to gravitate towards people who are like us. It's easy to kind of to like people who are more like us. And that could be the same kind of cultural background. That could be same like introvert, extrovert, personality stuff. That's just like social cliques, socioeconomic status. Where do you go to college? Did you go to college or not? Um, interest, politi- politics. It's easy for us to, to show preference, to, to show favoritism towards people that are more like us. And I believe God is calling us to expand our thinking and go, wow, no. Who are the people who are different than me? And how, how, can, I, how can I engage in relationship with them and overcome my, my prejudices and my inbuilt favoritism towards certain kinds of people? Um, you know, I think it's been often noted that even with the gospel, that 99% of the resources of the church goes towards either people that are already Christians or people that are in cultures where they have access to the gospel. And there are whole people groups where there's no or very little access to the gospel. And it's getting less than 1% of our resources. Say, oh, that's, that's favoritism and that's not good. That's not carrying out Jesus' command to go spread this message, spread this invitation to the whole world. And that's something we as a church have to look at. And, but I think even locally, we look at, like, wow, where are my energies? Where, who are the people I'm looking at? Am I looking to the people that I think are maybe more open, but I'm missing the people that are farther from the gospel, where I should be giving more emphasis so that there's equal opportunity? Um, so those are some things for us to think about. So God's favor extends to everybody. God's not into favoritism, but God does have favorites. That sounds like a contradiction. 
which would be consistent with Jesus, because he often sounds like he's kind of like contradicting himself until you really get to the heart of it. Um, but God, you know, by favorites I mean God's favorites in, in, the, in, this, in this story of the wedding, he extends favor to everyone, but the ones that experience his favor are the ones who respond to it, right? And there, not everyone gets the benefit of his favor. The people that ignore the invitation, they miss out. The people who despise the invitation, they miss out. But the people who respond, they become his favorites. They, they're at the wedding. They're in the party. They're in the community. They're in the mission. They're in the purpose. God has favorites. Basically, God's favorites are those who say yes to being disciples. They're the ones who say, yeah, I'll follow you. Which disciple is, you know, we hit on this all the time, but the call of God has put in front of us is to be disciples of Jesus. The word in the New Testament for, for followers of Jesus is disciple. I think it's 261 times that word is used. The word Christian is used three times. And so the normal description of what God is looking for and how we respond is a disciple, someone who is a committed follower and learner of Jesus. And we see this in, in Mark 3. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says, He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Is you're like, wow, he called certain people who he desired to be his inner circle. These were the 12 who became his 12 apostles. And wow, he, why did, they were his favorites. They were the 12 who he chose. Why did he pick them? But if you read the rest of the gospel, you see that he had been calling people to follow him, and these were ones who had responded already. These are the ones who said, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They dropped everything. They rearranged their life and said, yes, I want to be a disciple. And that played into, like, okay, yeah, those are the ones I want to have on my team. They're the ones I want to be in the inner circle. And so God's favorites are those who, who say yes to being disciples. Um, yeah, you guys with me? All right. Um, it's, it's not... It's, in some ways, it's hard, but it's not that hard when you realize who he is. You're like, wow, this is, this is worth it. This is worth giving everything for. The, we like to talk about disciples, and this is a common thing, but... How do you know if you're a disciple? Well, disciples are fat. F-A-T. A disciple is faithful, available, and teachable. Jesus likes fat disciples. Some of you are like, man, I've been trying not to be so fat. But okay, this is, I can be fat. This is good. Faithful, available, teachable. This is a really good grid. To like, okay, where, where am I at in this process? How am I? Am I faithful to Jesus? Am I available? When he invites me to something, am I like quick to, to rearrange my life and be available for what he has? Am I teachable? Am I, do I let him put his finger on things in my life and say, okay, yeah, okay, I want to learn. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to grow. 
in that. Those are the disciples who, that's what disciples are. And the more we're that way, the more we experience the benefits of, of God's favor. I love how in, in John's gospel, he describes himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And it seems really audacious. Like, oh my goodness, like, like this, you're the, wait, what are you saying about yourself compared to everybody else? And I don't even know, you know, like, what it, how he thought he compared with everybody else. But I think what he was saying is like, man, I know that I was the disciple who Jesus loved. I walked with him, and I experienced his favor, and I'm experiencing his favor, and I know I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. And he may have other favorites, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> and God, that is available. I mean, think, that is, that is how God wants. That's how he invites us to live with. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. To walk around our life knowing, like, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's who I am. That's, that's, that's how God thinks of me. That's how Jesus thinks of me. And that, man, that changes everything. Living with that. Now, it doesn't really matter how someone treated you this week or how much respect you got or how hard your life was. It's like, wait, no. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Okay, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Um, so, but the amount we experience that is related to how fat we are. And so, homework for you this week, like even homework, is not only think about how faithful, available, and teachable you are, but oftentimes we're not the best assessment of that for ourselves. So, my encouragement to you is to find someone who's a little more, at least a little more mature than you, and say, okay, honest question, how am I doing with this fat thing? How faithful, available, teachable do you think I am? Where do you see me doing well in that? Where do you see, like, oh, maybe you're available but not so teachable? Or, you know, help me, like, give me some feedback about what you see in my life. And I, I, that will be, I, I've done this. I do this. This is a good way to live. So I challenge you, encourage you to do that this week. And with the heart to say, okay, what can I adjust? How can I become more of a faithful, available, teachable disciple? So... Man, this is good stuff. Um, as, as we just... Whoop. It was already hard to read at the previous height. All right. So, man, my prayer for us today is that may you know and experience and receive God's favor. You know, I believe today God is extending in a fresh way and inviting us to to believe and receive the favor that he has for our lives. May, if you have any fear of favoritism, may that just be washed away. As you know, like, wait, no, God's not into favoritism. I don't, don't gotta worry about that. Like, God's gonna, like, he's gonna give me what's just. He's not into favoritism. And may any excuse of favoritism be removed from our minds today. May favoritism be removed in us. You know, any favoritism, wherever 
we think that way or live that way. God, may you, may you change us. May you help us to see people the way you see people. And, you know, may we not be head nodders to the invitations that God gives to us, to his invitation to be his disciples. May we not be the, oh, yeah, 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 okay, but go about our way. But may we respond with, oh, this is an invitation into the kingdom. This is an invitation to the wedding of the Lamb. This is an invitation to get closer to the front of the room. Okay, may I be a fat disciple. May I not just nod my head and go about my ways, but may I adjust my life and be totally defined and clear that I'm a disciple of Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord, may that be the case. Holy Spirit, trusting you today that you will make it evident and obvious to our hearts where you are inviting us into your kingdom, more fully into your kingdom, where you're inviting us to experience your favor. Maybe obvious where you're calling us to, to lay aside our own business, our own ways, and come and follow. Lord, we thank you for the, the grace. Thank you for the unmerited favor and for the empowering ability that you give us. And God, I pray too that, that you would use us as conduits of your favor to others. Lord, even this week, Lord, I, just, I pray for new eyes to see people around us as we go out into the world, as we go out into our lives, as we go to our families and our friends and people around us, coworkers, just out in the community, in the marketplace, Lord, may we extend your favor to others. Thank you for that. I trust you, love you, amen.